Today on The Journey. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love demonstrates itself in not boasting. It's not proud. It's not rude. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Do you wear your feelings on your sleeve? Do you want everyone to notice what adorns your heart at any given moment? Well, today, Ron Moore offers spiritual attire that will adorn the heart of God and uplift your emotions for all to see and desire. Plus, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's devotional booklet titled Garments of Grace. In it, you'll discover eight items of spiritual clothing God wants every believer to wear. Garments of Grace is available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with part three of the message, Garments of Grace, on the journey. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourself with these things, with compassion, with kindness, these garments of grace like humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in the perfect unity. We've been looking at these virtues over the last week. We're going to look at four today, beginning with patience. Patience is God-given grace to wait. And we don't like to wait, do we? The virtue of patience is described with words like steadfastness and perseverance. Now, patience does not mean that we sit around and twiddle our thumbs with the flippant attitude of whatever happens will happen. It doesn't mean that sometimes in our life there's not a sense of urgency to get things done, particularly when it comes to spiritual growth. But rather, patience is active. It is victorious endurance. It is bold perseverance. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. We don't want you to be lazy, but we want you rather to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised to them. We don't want you to sit around and twiddle your thumbs. We want you to be active in your walk with the Lord and everything that entails. We want you to imitate. We want you to act like those who have gone before you and have demonstrated faith and patience in their life. Is God developing that virtue in your life, the brave and courageous acceptance of everything that life can give and using those situations of life as another step, another teaching point that God is working in your life to go what seems like past the breaking point and not break? Can you wait on God? Are you waiting on God? Do you have patience with God? When God brings some things into your life, are you willing to wait on His clear direction? 
Or is your life such that, God, you've got to fix these things in my life. You have to do it now. I don't like this relationship I'm in. You have to fix it. Instead of saying, God, what are you teaching me through this? Maybe he's teaching you patience. Turn to Psalm 37. And here in this psalm, we're going to see some words that describe what patience really is. David says, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither like green plants. They will soon die away. So others seem to be getting ahead, right? David says, don't fret. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Don't fret. It only leads to evil. You see those words that describe patience like don't fret, like trust, delight yourselves in the Lord, commit your ways to him, be still before God, wait patiently for him. Are you patient before God? Now, again, patience is not passive. If you lost your job, it doesn't mean you sit by the phone expecting God to give you the job of your dreams on the next ring. You network, you update your resume, you beat the bushes, all with the attitude of trusting in God. God, you're taking me through this. What are you teaching me? I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to do my part, but I'm waiting on you. If your marriage is having problems, the virtue of patience is not sitting back, just waiting for your mate to get to where he or she should be spiritually. That's very seldom what it takes to work out the problems in a marriage. But it's getting busy to do the things God tells you to do to grow your marriage. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2 say this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. Why? Because I waited patiently for the Lord and I didn't run off on my own. I am not an expert in this area by any stretch of the imagination, but God has taken me to school on this. After four years uh, in seminary, graduated in 85, and I couldn't wait to get out and get involved in church ministry. Couldn't wait. Graduated at the end of April and started sending out the resumes and kept getting them back. Thanks, but no thanks. Don't have the experience. All through May, all through June, all through August. And I had never been so discouraged in all my life. God, what are you trying to teach me? Didn't you want me to do this? And so at the end of August, I thought, I can't go on like this. I'm going to have to do something. And so I went to the seminary and on the board there, I found there was a coaching position open, ended up to be a teaching position as well in Sunnyvale, Texas. And so irritated at God that he was taking so much time, I decided to take that job. But during that time, I learned a lot. I was there for four and a half years. 
still wanting to get involved in church ministry, but God never opened the doors. This was the only church that ever offered me a full-time job, by the way. (laughs) And none of those guys who gave me that job are here today. So what does that tell you? And so often God says more, I got another class for you to go through. The class of patience. Are you patient with God? Are you patient with life? Just the normal, everyday events of life. You're in a hurry and there's a slow driver in front of you. What does that do to you? Make your skin crawl, make your stomach churn. You're in a grocery store, always looking for the fastest line to go through because you're in a hurry. We get impatient waiting for four minutes for microwave popcorn. We're in a hurry. There's a book that I recommend to you. It's by a guy named John Ortberg. It's called The Life You've Always Wanted. And one of the things that Ortberg speaks of in this book is what he calls the hurry disease. Continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things and participate in more and more events in less and less time. And then he gives some characteristics of the hurry disease. See if you have any of these characteristics. Constantly speeding up daily activities. Multiple tasking. We got to do two or three things at once because just doing one thing at one time is not good enough. Too many things to do. So you got to do two or three things. Clutter. Just a bunch of stuff in our lives. Superficiality. Listen to what he says. We have largely traded wisdom for information. We've traded depth for breadth. We want microwave maturity. It's true, isn't it? We want to be mature Christians now. We don't want to go through the process. We don't want to take those classes. We want it now. An inability to love, because love takes time. Relationships take time to build. And if we have the hurry disease, we don't have time to do that. And here's the last one, sunset fatigue. Here's what he says. When you come home at the end of the day, those who need our love the most, those to whom we are most committed, end up getting the leftovers. Sunset fatigue is when we're just too tired, too drained, too preoccupied to love the people to whom we've made the deepest promises. Kind of hits home, doesn't it? the hurry disease. It's the opposite of patience, waiting on God, living a life that pleases Him as we look at life with gratitude. Can't do that when we're in a hurry. The second question would be, are you patient with others? And that brings us to our second garment, which is the garment of forbearance in verse 13. Bear with each other. Bearing with each other is the patient reaction to the faults and failures of others. Because you see, others are not perfect as we're not perfect. Certainly we want to be patient with others and certainly we want others to be patient with us. But scripture says we have to return that. Impatience 
not bearing with others has its root in pride. I know what's best. I'm smarter. I'm more capable. I understand the situation better than anyone else. And when are they going to catch up? But again, that's not bearing with each other. Bearing is gracious tolerance. Again, it's an attitude, not just actions. It's a forbearance of the heart. Forbearance is not acting like you're putting up with someone graciously to their face and then stabbing them behind the back. Forbearance is not done begrudgingly. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 and 15 says this. This is in context of Christ's return. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. What about when others hurt you? Are you supposed to be forbearing? Are you supposed to bear with those who hurt you? Well, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 20. Peter is writing to Christian slaves, so they have to put up with a lot. Here's what he tells them. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? Now that sounds pretty harsh to us, doesn't it, in our day, but in that day the slaves knew what that was like. But look at the next sentence, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. There's that word again, isn't it? Trust. Can you trust God that he knows what he's doing, even when you're going through a difficult situation, when through no fault of your own, you've been hurt? Are you willing to bear with others? If you are, and if God is working that virtue in your life, there's a third virtue that comes about, and that is forgiveness. Again, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Christ illustrates this in a parable that he tells. And he tells this parable because Peter asks a question in Matthew 18, verse 21. Peter says this, Lord, how often am I to forgive my brother? And Peter thought up to seven times would be pretty good. And it would be, but Christ ups the ante. Jesus says in verse 22, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some translate 70 times seven. The principle is the same. It becomes a habit of your life. You're not carrying grudges. You're forgiving as Christ forgave you. To illustrate the point, Christ tells that familiar story of the unmerciful servant. The man owes Thousand talents, Christ said. Now, when Christ said a thousand talents, that would be like us saying this guy owed a billion dollars or two billion dollars. It's just an outrageous figure. No one can ever pay that back. 
So that man went before the king and he asked, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything I owe. That in itself was an unreasonable request because he could never pay back everything he owed. But the merciful king said, okay, don't worry about it. I'm going to forgive your debt. That same man who had been forgiven went out, you remember the story, and found a person who owed him money, just a little bit, small amount in comparison. And the man said, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back everything I owe. And the man said, no. And he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. In verse 32, the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to do it. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they, from Christ? He is saying you have to forgive from your heart. Great. We agree. Christ said it. We're supposed to do it. I know all that. But tomorrow, someone says something or does something that causes us to have to forgive them. And it's not such a good idea any longer. But if we don't forgive, bitterness comes. Spiritual growth is thwarted. Resentment, anger, unwholesome words result. And we cannot be those who truly wear the garments of grace. Someone has said, the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the forgiving. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then we discover the prisoner we set free was us. So how about it? Spouses, is the bitterness really worth it? Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Parents and children, is the unforgiveness worth what it's doing to your relationships with a friend? You say, well, you don't know how much this person hurt me. Well, it doesn't matter because we are to forgive like Christ forgave us. Final garment, so we conclude our series, is the garment of love. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, over all these other virtues, over all these garments, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's the one that holds it together. Without it, you're not properly dressed. And the best description, of course, is 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there and let's review these familiar words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love demonstrates itself in not envying. Love demonstrates itself in not boasting. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, not sometimes, but always. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. It's the garment that holds all the other garments on. 
the virtue of love. I heard the story of a young man who proposed to his girlfriend as they sat by a beautiful lake. And the young man said, darling, I, I love you with all my heart. I don't have everything like some of my friends have. For instance, I won't want to marry you, but, but I'm not wealthy like Johnny Brown, and I'm not rich like Johnny Brown. I don't have a yacht. I don't have a Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown, but I love you with all my heart. Will you marry me? She thought for a moment and said, oh, I love you with all my heart too, but, but tell me more about Johnny Brown. <laughs> Sometimes we go before God, and we say, oh, I love you with all my heart. I'm here to worship. I'm here to sing the songs. I'm here to live for you. But tell me more about the world, the way the world does things. I love you with all my heart. I want to put on the garments of grace. I want to show compassion if it's convenient. I want to show kindness when I want to show kindness. I'll forgive if I feel like it. I'll wear these garments but I really want a foot over here in the world, too, because I really like the way they do business, sometimes more than the way God wants me to do business. And that's not a wholehearted love. Will we be those who not only can define grace relatively easy? Describe grace. You've got the verses now. Talk about grace. Go to the parts of Scripture where grace is instructed. Those are great. But will we be those who do what God is asking us to do and demonstrate grace, the garments of grace in our life, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church? Then, then, the world will have something to see and say, they're different. They do marriage different. They raise their kids differently. They live their lives differently. Something, something must be going on. And then you can tell them about Jesus Christ because he's the one who graces our life. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. When wanting to look your best in public, do you care about the appearance of your clothing? And the same question could be asked of your spiritual apparel, especially of those garments God has provided by His grace. They comprise an eight-piece ensemble made of heaven's finest virtues. You'll find that collection in Ron's PDF booklet titled Garments of Grace. In Garments of Grace, Ron describes each piece and how it's to be worn for God's glory. But here's a warning. When you don this wardrobe, you will be conspicuous. In a world dressed in filthy clothing, torn and tattered by sin, your attire will shine like the stars. Garments of Grace is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's join Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. We're going to launch a study of the book of James. I want to tell you that the book of James is a hard-hitting, in-your-face, no-nonsense instruction. 
James has one goal in mind as he writes his book. He wants the readers to develop as followers of Jesus Christ. His desire is that Christians live as Christians should live, worthy of the name they profess. So let's get started. I want to introduce you to this man, James. I want to see who the recipients of the letter are, what significance that is, and then we want to give an overview of the book. We want to see where we're headed, and we'll work out the details later, but today, a big picture. So let's start with determining who this man, James, is. The most likely candidate is James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. He's the one credited for writing this book. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to get your copy of Ron Moore's digital devotional, Garments of Grace. In its pages, you'll discover spiritual apparel for the well-dressed Christian. Garments of Grace is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on The Journey.